Abolition. Abolition. Welcome back to CBS This Morning, an explosive CBS News investigation looks into alleged gangs of deputies inside the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Our investigation found these deputies are allegedly encouraged to shoot people as part of their initiation. The California Attorney General launched a civil rights investigation into these claims last month. Maria Elena Salinas spoke exclusively with several deputies who claims these gangs have existed for decades. Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United States or get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to the America. The sense that a father, my pop, gave me to suffer. The friends I will follow was crack babies and hustlers. It's still sharp and still in the block. Made me a cutler. My pen is from the future like Octavia Butler. My grandmother sutured a flag from bloody cotton. The fruits of her labor, alas, already rotten. My man said, Joe, it's crazy how fast that we've forgotten that we used to pull boxes and plows like we were oxen and cows without Option. And now it's this glorious, victorious story Only pitch for me to shut it down They sold some of us down the rivers It's such a broad level of fraud I get the shivers It's insidious and it's always been hideous I had to tread water and run Be amphibious They do you so dirty for one Yeah, what's cleanliness to make you want to let off a gun Into the emptiness life I'm ill-fated and hated, I'm hella melanated Black, this is my religion, to that I'm dedicated I follow the laws of nature by which I'm regulated The universe, my university, I'm educated This one is for my very revolutionaries After keeping it a hundred, even though the truth is heavy Who stand firmly and see that life is a journey To either God or the gurney My public defender, Bernie, told it the district attorney In a turbulent trial, they told me that time is master What well, I'm serving it now Tell my family I'll be making my return in a while And every symbol of oppression I'll be burning Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United States, get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to America, land of the brave and the home of the free. You can be a saint or a sinner or a billionaire. Jamestown with slaves found Jesus and foul. 
demons and never be charged with malfeasance. I sat through they revival, though I never found freedoms. I found that we had never known shit about freedom. I've been charged with treason. I've been scarred and freezing. I've been called the nigga and then called the heathen when hounds found me. They couldn't even tell if I was freezing. And America went on black men. It's open season. Abolition. 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 You just heard a segment from CBS This Morning entitled Killer Gangs in the L.A. Police Department, followed by Welcome to America by Black Thought, C.S. Armstrong, and Angela Hunt from the Judas and the Black Messiah soundtrack. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6th Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. Uh, I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, streaming live with you. Well, that's great, Max, and I apologize uh, from the beginning. You know, there may be a little echo, but I'm on the road right now. I'm in a hotel room, so, uh, you know, I don't have my normal setup, you know, when I'm, you know, in my bunker. So I apologize for any type of uh, audio feedback or anything, but we can still have a great show. Last week, Max and I had the honor of being joined by the great-great-great-grandson of Frederick Douglass, Kenneth Morris, Jr., for discussion on the modern slavery abolitionist movement. On this last day of Black History Month, we'll be discussing the grandfather of all exception clauses, Vermont, 1777. And tonight our honored guest is Mark Hughes, the activist behind Vermont's campaign to end constitutional slavery in their state, and that's proposal two. Mark is the executive director of the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance and Justice for All. He's also a state operations representative for the Abolished Slavery National Network. As always, we'll have music, poetry, a masterclass on modern constitutional slavery abolition, updates on the national movement, and we'll bring the ancestors' word to life without bridging the gap segment. And we're probably going to uh, kick a few people in the behind in the show as well. So tell us how your week was, Max. Man, the week has been hella eventful. You know, earlier this week, I was asked to participate in the hearings on uh, in Oregon on their bill to remove the exception clause from their state constitution. I believe it's called uh, Resolution 10. But they had three bills on the yeah. table that they talked about. Uh, one was about uh, the 13th Amendment, the repealing and replacing that. That was a memorial. And then they had the resolution, yeah. which was to end uh, the slavery in Oregon. And then the third one was uh, SB 571, which would give Oregonian uh, inmates voting rights uh, while they are incarcerated, which I thought was groundbreaking and awesome. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get to testify. Uh, we ran out of time, unfortunately, but I'm okay with that because I got to witness history as all these senators, two secretaries of state, 
organizers and activists all came together to talk about how and why they wanted to end slavery in Oregon. You know, it was just amazing to see. So was that happened in the early part of the week, and then we also had a very new uh, release of one of the first mini documentaries that's coming out about the abolished slavery movement, and this one is called The End of Slavery. It's available on Amazon Prime, but you can rent it or buy it. Uh, it's about the fight for Amendment C in Utah, and it focuses on Representative Sandra Hollins, who you heard on our program here, and how she originally found out about the exception clause all the way to the point where they finally ended slavery in Utah. It is a wonderful film, and it's only 23 minutes long, so pick that up. It's on our site right now. Make sure you check it out and watch it with friends. It is awesome. Um, so that happened. Yeah. That's really awesome. I've got to applaud uh, Representative Holland, uh, Ross, and Coletta, and that entire, you know, Utah crew that, you know, worked tirelessly to make uh, that happen out there. Oh, yeah. And it really showed how heroic what they were doing was and how personal as well. Uh, I don't want to give too many uh, things away about the film I want y'all to see it So it's a must see uh, We highly recommend it Go ahead and pick up the first to come out About the Abolished Slavery National Network It's called The End of Slavery And that, that is an apt name, I believe And also there's this that's, thing, a, that's available now, correct? That's available right now You can go to uh, Abolition Today on Facebook And you'll see the link where you can pick it up today um, And there's one other thing That I want to put out into the atmosphere there's this awards being offered out, and they are asking for nominees uh, for Forces of Change Award. So if you know any groups or people that you think might be Forces of Change and fit that title, feel free to go ahead and click that link and nominate an org or a person. <laughs> we're all We're all <laughs> capable. You know what I mean? We're all, we are all uh, change makers and forces of change in the Abolish Slavery National Network and here at Abolition Today. So those have been the, how's my week been? How's yours been, bro? Hey, my week has been awesome. You know, as I mentioned, you know, I'm kind of like doing a little vacation thing right now because it's just been a long time since I've, since I've done anything. So I said, you know what, I need to just go away and, you know, breathe some uh, fresh air, you know, stick my feet into some ocean water, you know, uh, eat some uh, or, or drink some coconut. So I've had a great week. You know, I'm supercharged for tonight's show because, you know, anytime we're talking about the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, I'm really excited. And now we're going to the key root when we start talking about the grandfather, the one that started it all. You know, the uh, United States government got the idea from Vermont. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and like I said, I've just been chilling all week, man. You know, I'm, I'm getting tan, if you can believe that. <laughs> it's hard to believe. You know, but, but also still so. getting work in. Uh, I, hear, I hear that, brother. This, this yeah, a I lot need of to rejuvenate so I can come back and, you know, just come back stronger than ever. And, and you know, we got our anniversary coming up in two weeks. Uh, it'll be one year of abolition today, uh, you know, that we've been on air. It's our second season, but be one year, and it'll be uh, when we have Harriet Tubman's great-great-grandniece as our guest. So that's going to be awesome. There's so much yeah, that really 
We're going to talk about several things throughout the night. I definitely want to talk about the march today on the Edmund Pettus Bridge uh, by uh, Pastor Kenny uh, Glasgow and uh, organized mm-hmm. by TOPS as well as uh, the Alabama Resistance Movement and other groups. Uh, they went as slavery abolitionists marching across the Edward Pettus, Edmund Pettus Bridge, and they had their speeches and protests, and we're going to play a clip of that later on tonight. But let's go ahead and yeah, bring it and on the, and yes, the, man. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that's right. amazing because we're just looking at, what, the 60th anniversary of Bloody Sunday? 60th anniversary, that's right. Mm-hmm. And now we have abolitionists marching across the bridge. <laughs> Ain't that something, right? And, you know, Brother uh, Kenny is uh, Al Sharpton's brother. He's also one of our state operation team members. So uh, that's awesome. He's working on Mississippi, Florida, and Alabama right now to get them their uh, legislation to end slavery. So that's, that's and awesome. Georgia as well, correct? And Georgia as well, yes. And Georgia yeah. as well. So shout out to uh, Pastor Kenny. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring in our guest. He's another brother. And, Absolutely. Uh, member of the uh, Bali Slavery National Network, Mark Hughes, is the executive director of the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance and Justice for All. He is also a state operations representative for the Bali Slavery ne- National Network, and we've got him here today. I think this is him at uh, 8222. Mark, is that you? Hey, you got me. <laughs> we finally hey, got you going on, Mark. Everybody doing? Welcome to you the show, <laughs> yeah, it's good to hear y'all's voices. I'm, I am so happy to be with you. Uh, good, all this good work y'all are doing, and glad to talk about uh, the grandfather of all exception clauses, uh, right yeah. here in uh, the, the grandfather. Um, yeah, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's start there, and then I want you to actually read to them what this whack ass, crazy medieval. Constitution says that started the whole <laughs> like for some reason all of a sudden like you know that's a good damn idea we should all use it <laughs> so tell us a little bit would you, would you call it again can you say that again medieval yeah medieval constitution yeah I've been I've been here for a dozen years or so. I'm I'm a retired army officer and I've I've, I've lived in different places across the United States and and uh came here in a, about I think it was 09 uh working cybersecurity at the time and uh only started the work the real work about maybe 6 or 7 years ago. Max, you wrote something um not too long ago. You wrote um you wrote this. I know you wrote it. It says Vermont is Ferguson. Yes, Vermont is Ferguson. Mm-hmm. You wrote that. That's right. You wrote yes. that. You said Vermont is Ferguson, right? So I yes. read that, and it was interesting because I actually stepped back from cyber during uh, Ferguson when I saw a brother laying in the street for four hours and um, turned, and I said, we need to look into this. And uh, basically uh, created this organization and started to work here in the state of Vermont. Uh, and Justice for All grew into uh, the alliance. And it, the, originally the work was just uh, focused squarely on policing, just taking a look at, you know, policing here. And I didn't really know 
how problematic Vermont was at the time. I just knew that I wanted to be involved in this work because uh, it was, you know, I was impacted by what I saw, and I had never up, up in, you know, and, and I'm I'm ashamed to say it in a way, but I, you know, here I am, 40 years old at the time, and uh, okay, 45, <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the time, I, you know, was kind of like just trying to, you know, figure life out, and I didn't, I, I guess I didn't have a grip. And you know, it's, and I guess you know, it's just you you take a step a step at a time. But you know, that emerged into some broader work, and we stumbled you know stumbled across the Constitution. I mean, we've we've been able to do some other work in the state, you know, and get some other things done. Uh, and but we've always always started to just uh, been taking a look at that. You know, what is institutional? Where is the structural racism? How do we get after systemic racism? And it wasn't long before we stumbled across this Constitution. And I I will read it to you. Uh, Let me see if I can pull this up. This is what it says. This is um, this is Article One of the whack ass medieval Constitution. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So so we what we know is is uh, the state was incorporated in. I want to say 1791 or something like that, 1791, 93. Somebody do a fact check on me. And uh, um, so this is 1777 when this was written, and it says this. It says that all persons are born equally free and independent and have certain natural, inherent, and unalienable rights, amongst which are the enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and uh, pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Therefore, no por- no person born uh, uh, no person born in in this country or brought from overseas ought to be holding by law to serve any person as a servant, slave, or apprentice after arriving at the age of 21 years, um, unless bound by the person's own consent after arriving at such age or Bound by law for the payment of debts, damages, fines, costs, or the like. Like? That's what it says. <laughs> Dude, I've been feeding on that for years. Ever since I found out, I was like, you could be enslaved for the like? Like, what the hell is the like? <laughs> Still haven't figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what it says, you know. And And the thing... The thing here is, is uh, you know, as as I started to you know do my homework and because you know I, I'm pulling it all together, I'm like, yeah, of course, this is before the United States Constitution was written, um, and I started thinking about the Thirteenth Amendment, which would which would happen, you know, probably you know ninety years later or something like that. Um, but the interesting thing about this exception clause. Amongst other things, but one of the things that really stands out to me, because uh, we went through all state constitutions, is this is the only state constitution that has an ex- a, has dual exception clause. One mm-hmm. is basically the criminalization of poverty. One is basically it basically is saying if if you don't have money, if we, I think it's something about bound by law for payment of debt damages, fines, costs, or the like. <laughs> right. Um, and, then the, and then the other one is um, 
children. Children. Right. And so right. you have, you know, if you're under the age of 21, and and just and I'll park here for a minute, but I I I unpacked that thing and went back a little bit just to take a and see what the history on that was. And the only thing I could find. Now watch this. The it used to be when they first wrote this that it was 18 and under for women and 21 years and under for men. And I think it was in. And folks don't have to do their homework on this, but I think it was in 1924, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it was Woodrow Wilson that was around during that time. I'm not sure. But in 1924, they amended, they changed this constitution, the language, and they made it uh, everybody under the age of 21. So I guess they thought they were doing something good there. Man. <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's a constitution out here, brother. That's what we want. And, and that's twenty twenty one. That's that's it right now. That we have this thing where yeah. a child can be a slave, uh you can be slave if you owe money, and if the like should happen. Like out of nowhere you're walking down the street and suddenly boom the like and you're like, Oh, I'm in prison, <laughs> I'm a slave. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you know, we we're we're in motion though. We're in motion because you know most most states you have you know you've got a very very complex process to uh, to amend the constitution. And uh, here, just like many other states, you know you've got to take this thing through both chambers, uh, and then um, you got to do it again the next time session comes back in, and then um, it will go to. You know, obviously the, the national refer- the uh, statewide referendum where it's on the ballot. So, so we have moved this here in the state of Vermont uh, through the Senate and the House. Uh, one proposal round. two, right? Proposal two. Propos- so we've proposal moved proposal two, yeah. two through the through the Senate and the House, but, uh, the entire assembly, uh, one round. So where we are is is between now and the end of next year, or the end of next session. What I mean by next session is, is our session is usually from about January to maybe around mid, mid-May mid or something like that. So mm-hmm. between now and the end of May next year, we'll have needed to move this thing through both chambers again so we can get it on the ballot in November. So we are getting ready to stand this thing up now because there's no sense in waiting. Let's just go ahead and get this done. So we're going we're gonna to start, start to push to get this thing moving. So we got a lot of things um, in play, um, and you will be hearing from us. So those of you who are in Vermont right now, just so you know, you will be hearing from us because it's it's time to go ahead. There's no reason for us to wait any longer. You know, I think the the interesting thing about this is is we have a, you know a handful of statewide elected officials, and we also have 180 legislators. The vast majority of the folks that we began to speak to at the onset of this process, these folks who take an oath to this document, had no idea that the language even existed. They didn't know it was there. So, I mean, so that kind of speaks volumes because, you know, they're, they're, everybody's taking an oath. We've been doing this for 243 years. Right. And uh, folks don't know. Folks don't know. Folks don't know. In fact, one of the one of the claims to fame that we have as a state, and all you got to do is pick up a book. All you got to do is just get on the internet and do a search and say, "Do it right now." I challenge you, whoever's listening, 
just go ahead and get in front of you. You already got your whatever your device in your hand. Type in the first state to abolish slavery, and it'll tell you that Vermont is the first state to abolish slavery. And that, my friend, is a lie. Lie. That's right. a straight up lie. Outright, outright lie. Straight up lie. Somebody say lie. You, you know why they're lying? So, you want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's a lie. So I mean, and, and sometimes it's easy to tell a lie when you don't know it's a lie. Somebody knew it was a lie. But well, at well, some point or another, if you hear it long enough, you'll believe it's the truth. That's what right. frustrates me, Mark, is that they swear oaths to defend the Constitution they never freaking read, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's problematic, but, you know, uh, I don't know. I I took an oath to the United States Constitution, and I didn't read it either, so I, I, ain't, tr- I ain't trying to get too mad at them. <laughs> well, so, you, you in the same bucket of FUs that we got to throw out. That's all. <laughs> I, I can't wait to National FU Day. <laughs> National FU Day. I'll save a little oh, more. I got a bunch of them to give out. Say what, Mark? Y'all gonna have me on the list, huh? You gonna have me on the FU list? <laughs> every every year. Oh I no, have my own holiday. It's uh, actually we're going in our eleventh year this year of National FU mm-hmm. Day. It's June 27th. Yeah. And on June 27th, you can say F you to anybody mm-hmm. you want, all you want. And they supposed to accept it and throw back a few of their own. And if you got a list of people you want to say F you, go ahead and get it out there. Get it off your chest. I don't know. That sounds like, that sounds too much like, uh, you know, Black History Month where we got to wait 11 <laughs> months to, to do our thing. You know, I mean, if I'm going to say F you to somebody, I'm going to do it 365 days a year. Hey, listen, there's something else you're Look doing, out. too. You're expanding your reach. I know that you were just doing Vermont, right? When you mm-hmm. found out Vermont was like that, you know, let's handle this problem. Yeah. But then you met these crazy-ass yeah. people like me <laughs> and the Abolished Slavery National Network. And since then, mm-hmm. you're beginning to work with uh, Maine as well now, right? That's correct. We're we're beginning to uh, unearth some stuff up there. We'll we'll have you know we'll have to keep shaking and see see what falls out of that. And you know I've got my home state is is Iowa and it's it's bad out there. Um, because yeah, you know when you're looking at this thing, sometimes if you really think about it, all you got to do is think about state of the state, and you start mm-hmm. peeling the onion. You know, and what do I mean by the state of the state? Let's talk. Let's just talk about incarceration rates. Okay, let's just talk about let's talk about states that say that, that push back on the expansion of um, uh, social security coverage. Uh, let's let's uh-huh. you know let's talk about. Yeah, I mean, you start thinking about you know what you know when you start looking at the I'll name them Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Jersey. Um, you got you got us out here. There's, there's, there's always these, there's certain states that you just want to look at anyway. Um, you know, you have these white states, sometimes you wonder why they're so white. There's that too. And people used to ask me all the time, why do you think Vermont is so white? And, I, and I, when this all started to come together, I said, you know, if, uh, you know, 50 or 100 years ago, if I knew that this state could, could actually enslave my children, I wouldn't want to come here either. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, so we're looking we're looking up in Maine, we're looking at a couple other states. Um but you know, as we we still trying to unpack this here because there's a lot 
more to this than you than it even looks like. I mean, uh, I, I'm thinking about okay. For example, we had we use private prisons here in the state. So, so not only are we, you know, are a state that has slavery, but we don't we don't have enough we don't have enough space to put our people that we enslaved. So so we're contributing to the private prison industry. Now here here's another one for you. You're also involved in I'm, human I'm, trafficking. Well, that that is human trafficking. When you're sending you got, when you're prisoners out of state, bodies and moving them down to Mississippi. Yeah, right. That is human and trafficking. Michigan and all of that. Yeah. I mean, if it, that sounds like textbook human tra- human trafficking to me, um, because because you're selling their labor. But anyway, there's something else. Um, have you ever heard of jail prisons? Jail prison? Mm-hmm. Is that like you said, jail inside the ocean? No, I haven't heard of jail prison. So, so, so think about think about the United States. Think about think about the United States. So, so mm-hmm. last time I was watching, last time I was watching, we had like 2.3 million people incarcerated. 25 percent of the planet incarcerated people here, where we are only like five percent of the, the the planet, the five percent of the world, the the land of the free, the home of the brave. We got 25 percent. Right. Okay, how that broke out was, if I recall, now help me out on these numbers, I believe that somewhere about maybe 800,000 people were in prison, well, in, in local jails, um, somewhere around um, uh, one point, um, uh, uh, like, I think it's like uh, 1.3 million people were in, 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 uh, in, in state prisons or something like that, and then a, another uh, Maybe a couple hundred thousand were, were in federal prison or something like that. So, so, and we talk about how this whole pre-sentencing thing, because you know the 13th Amendment says for a duly convicted crime. So if you're not right. duly convicted, generally speaking, you're not in a quote-unquote prison. You're probably in a local jail. And then if you break the numbers out of that, um, those 800,000, probably about 60% of those or maybe a half a million people haven't even haven't even been convicted of a crime. I haven't even seen a judge, right? And, and usually that's because they don't have enough money to get out. And typically that's somewhere uh, in the area of probably probably less than a couple thousand dollars. So that's why right. they locked up. Now, watch this. We don't have jails in Vermont. Ah. Uh, we do not have jails in Vermont. No jails in Vermont. You are, Everything is a state if, prison. If you go, if you get arrested in Vermont. You may be held temporarily in a holding facility for maybe 24, 48 hours. After that, you are going to prison. And, and that, what that means is, is that you are incarcerated, or if, well, you are, you are, you are uh, caged, I should say. They like to tell us we're incarcerated. This is really caging. You, so you are caged um, in the same manner that a convicted murderer is. In, in the same conditions, you might even be in the same cell. Mm. Okay, to in Vermont, that's exactly whether, what they said whether in the you, song. And, and, and you could be one of those people that in any other state, you would be in a local jail, and also you might even be under the same conditions. You're in prison because you don't have two thousand dollars. Right. Welcome to Vermont. Welcome to. So America. let me ask you a question. Why? We're abolishing slavery here. Mark, let me ask you a question uh, as a follow-up to that. 
So when Vermont started doing private prisons back in, I think it was during the Clinton era. Am I correct? I, I couldn't answer that question. Uh, I, I think I was, it was during I, I the was, Clinton era when Vermont first started doing them. So was the primary purpose to house uh, non-sentenced inmates, so to speak, in other states? I know they were sending them to Michigan, to Mississippi, Kentucky, to, I guess, bypass any type of lawsuits for for housing them in state prisons as opposed to just regular county jails. I, I, you know what? I'm, I, I love to talk about what I know about. Um, I got you. But this ain't this ain't one of them. But but I but I would say this though that um, what I do know is is that the people that are going from here to Mississippi now, and it used to be I think Kentucky, and maybe Michigan. Um, yeah, now, right. now I know, and I, I do believe that there is a contract. I know that there is a contract in place in Mississippi, and at some point or another, we had upwards of about 265 people down there, and I know that number has come down. But that is a prison, right? That those people are sent to. So that kind of flies in the face of that that analysis a little bit, um, and I don't even know. Quite frankly, because once you get in, once you get into, um, once you get into the system, the visibility that we have on the demographics of folks in there are, are you know, catch as catch can. We have higher visibility than we've had before, but I don't think we've sliced it and diced it like that. It, and yeah. I've often wondered, you know, what, you know, are we sending people out of state that have not been tried? Right, and see, that was basically my question. Mm-hmm. You know that they haven't even fallen under the peer view of the the uh, exception clause, and so it's clearly uh, a violation of their constitutional rights, and it would clearly violate you know the interstate uh, interstate compacts. You know, even when it starts talking about the uh, what is it, the Sumner's Ashers Act you know, transporting goods, because in this case, the goods are human beings, transporting them across <laughs> across state lines for profit, because they're sending them down to Tallahatchie County jail or prison, mm-hmm. you know, and they're known to house people from all over the country, Wisconsin, Colorado, Hawaii, My- mm-hmm. uh, Wyoming, California, and they're sending them down there to put them to work on these farms and they haven't even been sentenced. Well, we have our own farm. Uh, we 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 got a we got a couple work camps up here, and we also have a we have our own correctional industries. So just like most many other states, just like any other most other states, um, that whole correctional industries piece plugs in mm-hmm. here. Vermont correctional industries. You go to you go to prison. I'm not saying jail because we don't have one, but right. if you go to prison here. Uh, you call the Department of Motor Vehicles. You might be talking to somebody who's 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 incarcerated, who's locked up because um, um, they that's that's where they use that labor. You go into any government office and you look at their furniture or their the things that are hanging on the wall, or the license plates on the vehicles, and all that other stuff. That that labor they're not they're not paying them guys minimum wage. 
<laughs> so Vermont Correction, it Vermont, uh, you know, Correctional Industries VCI. Look that up, folks. Folks who are on the internet right now, VCI here in Vermont. Uh, in those work camps we have, there are already. I mean, we have we have a statute that 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 is, is has established that that th- that labor can be sold. I know one of them is uh, St. John's. Yeah. Uh, I know one yeah. one work camp is St. Johnsbury, because I saw something a few months ago about some type of uprising there or work stoppage or something. How many work yeah, camps are there out there, there that you, that you know of? I I know of that one, and I and I'm I, I'm pretty sure it might be one other one, but I, I know of that one for sure. Hey Mark, I know of that one for sure. So it's, it's problematic. It's problematic. You know, I I think you know, I I think the main thing is is you know let's just start from the beginning. Let's start from the the beginning of the conversation, and that is, and I you know we had uh, um thirty thirty senators uh, voted this thing out. Uh, last a uh, year before last, and only one dissented. Okay, and, and I know him. Hello, Senator mm. McCormick. Uh, but but he's a but he's oh, a good yeah. guy. Oh yeah, Senator McCormick. You know, and, and he and he, yeah he want and he and he wants to talk about it, and he you know he wants to better understand it, and he didn't really consider that Thirteenth Amendment thing, and we're still talking about it. Um, and he was the guy, the only guy who who stood up when we we're passing cannabis equity. And said, "Look, we need to be listening to these black folks on this right here." Uh, so anyway, yeah. we'll come back to that. The, the, the thing, <laughs> the thing here is, is that it's problematic up and down. I mean, we can talk about Department of Children and Families that they created about 15 years ago. Uh, we can talk about, you know, how problematic the fact is that we this is a huge re- refugee resettlement state and communities. And we can talk about how many black and brown kids they snatched and redistributed, redistributed, redistributing into white families. Uh, we can talk about um, the the racial disparities that exist at the tip of the arrow of this system that we like to call law enforcement, this so-called uh, public safety system. Look, this is this is allegedly, usually, if you or statistically, if you look at the numbers, this is the safest. This is the safest state in the United States by all measures. You can you can take your wallet downtown and leave it on the street and come back and get it the next day. Um, but this, but this state has seventy nine police agencies, mm-hmm. and you know we we've been looking at we've been looking at the numbers. You know racial disparities and race traffic stop and, and use of force. Use of force in the city that I live in, Burlington, Vermont, the biggest city in Vermont, thriving thriving metropolis of forty two thousand people. This this city right here, the use of force. Uh, against um, black folks went from 18 to 20 to now 25% over the last uh, three years. What do I mean by 25%? 25% of all force used against people in a city where it, it's only about 8% of us here are black. 25% of all force used is against black people, and it's usually you got a gun point that. So, and so there ain't got, like three black people lot, in the whole state. Yep, me right. and my cousin. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but so, so it's it's a larger it's a larger issue. But you know, a, but abolish is is a conversation that we gotta have. You know, it's no, it doesn't make any sense as well. Where we got 1.4 percent of the population is is black, but 11 percent of the prison is. That don't make no sense. So. So it's some work to be done, and, and, and we're chipping away at it. And um, 
you know, I think that if we're going to take this thing down uh, from from the foundation, because I think everybody ought to be tired of trying to skim off the top. If we're going to take this thing down from the foundation, we got to ask ourselves one question. Do we want to be a state? Do we want to be a state that says morally that slavery is okay? In fact, do we want to be a nation? Do we want to be a nation that says morally it's okay to be to have slaves? You know, the, 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 the question here is, is can we for once, once in our history, finally look ourselves in the mirror as a nation and say this is wrong and stop it, right? Because I think I really truly believe that this whole business about slavery, I mean, the United Nations is saying, hey, y'all, y'all need to just go ahead and stop it. The crimes against humanity that you've committed throughout your entire existence, stop it, apologize for it, correct it, and move forward. If we did that as a nation, you wouldn't see Confederate flags waving in the United States Capitol. Mm-hmm. Hey, Speak on it. Brother Mark, I got uh, one of the representatives from Maine uh, who's the organizer out there, Brother Sean Darling, on the line with us. Uh, he, he's the person that I put you in contact with uh, to work with in Maine. Yeah. Uh, so he's on the line with us, too. Uh, welcome to Abolition Today, uh, Sean. What's up, man? Hey. Hey, Max. And, um, what's up, Sean? How are you guys? What's, what's going on, Sean? Yeah. Uh, what's going about... on over there? Um, this is all kind of coming together um, in a kind of interesting way because um, our new Secretary of State was the one who um, testified for Oregon um, yep. this past week, I heard that. and um, yeah. I believe it's just Maine and Vermont um, that allow um, people who are committed felonies to vote. I think it's just us two in the whole nation. So um, that's right. Something for us to be proud of, but then we, you can kind of point to that and then not point to the. Um, I had a friend that did some research research for me, so you don't have an exception clause, but she found out in 1855 when um, Maine was denouncing the future slave laws, um, they denounced that, and they said um, pretty much had an exception clause in one of their um, one of their legislative hearings um, saying, you know, except for a punishment for a crime. So it's not in the Constitution, but it's in the legislative record, um, which mm. I was a little bit shocked <laughs> to, to find out. Um, and that was in 1855, so 10 years federally um, before um, that happened nationally. But also, um, mm-hmm. 2020, um, Maine became a, a state of its own. Uh, sorry, 1820. Sorry, um, Maine became a state of its own. So we had the bicentennial, and um, we had a group of people who was working on that. It didn't come out. Um, to really do much that we wanted to, but there there is a commission now, a permanent commission um, that um, my friend Rachel Talbot Ross is on um, to study the impact of racial disparities on a number of laws. Um, so there is you know rich issues of racial inequity and justice on the radar in Maine. So that's definitely a plus. It's not exactly what we're doing, but it's definitely. I think a plus. I lost more. Oh, sorry. Uh, Mark's call dropped. Uh, hopefully, he'll call right back in. Uh, okay. Go ahead, Sean. Right. Um, so we have um, that going on. I've been reaching out to a couple different organizations. Um, I think it's really good that um, we have a new Secretary of State that um, that spoke. You can um, 
I don't say help us, but like with uh, getting the vote out, you know, um, I can get in, in touch with her and get some assistance about how to do it um, to, make, to make sure that everything's, you know, proper. Um, so I think that's a plus. Um, I think what else? Yeah, um, just kind of in the beginning stages of getting this going in Maine, um, just talking to a few individuals and a few organizations. And um, I know that um, my representative has been kind of busy. Um, but hopefully we can connect with her and connect with Mark soon um, yes. and see if we can get it on the ballot, like, like get a more concrete date of when we can get on and kind of get it moving a little faster. Um, so right now it's kind of in like the preliminary stages, but um, just kind of making connections. And... Mark, are you back? I am. I just, I had to just okay. drop off a little bit. It's just a fat finger. <laughs> Well, listen, make sure you and Sean get together, man, because Maine and Vermont is stronger than Maine or Vermont alone. Uh, mm-hmm. And would you two have that in common that you're the only ones that allow people to vote? That's uh, something to build on right from there. You know, we can mm-hmm. continue Absolutely. to finish what our ancestors started. Um, mm-hmm. we, got yes, about 15, we got about 15 minutes left, Mark. I want to make sure that we get it, uh, across all the points that we need to cover tonight because uh, you're coming up on your legislative period right now. And <clears throat> we want to make sure that we get ahead of this thing so that the right narratives are out there and they understand what's going on with the co- the Constitution in Vermont. One of the things that I did want to uh, add to the conversation is how uh, Europe, or London in particular, caught on to what Vermont was doing and then started practicing it in Europe and shipping their prisoners over here. So, you know, after your constitution mm-hmm. came out in 1777, in 1779, Parliament enacted the Penitentiary Act, and that was introduced right. uh, to state prisons for the first time, and the act was drafted by prison reformer John Howard and jurist William Blackstone, and it recommended imprisonment as an alternative sentence to death or transportation. And the American colonies had been using uh, had been used as the destination for transported English criminals, and England was building prisons in America to provide a colonizing workforce of European indentured servants. And only two prisons were built in London. <laughs> wow, like we were doing it, and they were doing it with us from across the ocean. That's that's what I read. Um, it, it, when you say Max, that that we're the grandfather of all exception clauses. We're we're really the grandfather of you know English colonial North American slavery, uh, if you really think about it. And and I I want to frame it really specifically on English colonial, and I don't want to give a whole lot of uh, attention to that those those words English colonial because you know I think we spend too much time talking about that. You know if you go back to a little bit further, you'll find out that uh, this whole English thing was nonsense too because they stole everything they had to go to Grenada in 1492 but we'll come back to that later Um, the point is is just that um, yeah Vermont you know we are let me just frame it this way and and then I'll go back to you because I think there's something else that I'd love to hear from you um, if I think you're going in the right direction is is that we are not the first state to abolish slavery. We are the state in the United States of America who has held slavery constitutional longer than any other There's state in the United States, 243 right. years. Right. All That's while we are. pretending to be the exact opposite. Skullduggery. 
That's what I call it. <laughs> Skull Douglas. Yes, uh, a number of historians have since come out and said much the same thing. Uh, I was reading an article not too a couple of days ago, uh, and it came from Professor Harvey Amani Whitfield. Are you familiar with him? I am. I am. Yeah. He sat in on one he, of our panels. He, he wrote the the uh, the whole um, about what is it? The Truth About Slavery of 1777, the something something book. Um, I have it on my bookshelf right here. Yes, he, he talked mm-hmm. about the same things you're saying, specifically about how children were allowed to be legal slaves through the freaking state constitution. If you're not talking about uh, pedophilia and prostitution of children now, what are you talking about? Because why else would you be doing that, right? So, he, yeah, he, he went to that. A lot of your, your peers are also speaking out on it. I'm, I'm proud of Vermont. You guys are kicking ass and taking names, especially you, brothers. Do your thing. So, Thank you what so much. Need- I, I want to give a shout out to some right. of the other folks that are doing the work and some of the folks that are, are making a difference. And I wanted to also tell you, Sean, that, um, you know, we, our secretary of state, Jim Condos is uh, a pretty sharp guy. And I, and I'm pretty sure that he'd want to circle around with y'all folks up there too. So when we talk later awesome. in the week, we'll, we'll close the loop there. Thanks. Great. See, that's how that's how slavery gets ended, just by little connections like that. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's, then, that's a huge connection. That's it. It's just all it takes is that's and slavery gets ended. You want to give some shout outs to the people that are doing the work? You said. Yeah, I mean, the, the Racial Justice Alliance here in in Vermont, Justice for All, of course. But you know, even other organizations, you know, who who've been lifting us up. You know, we got. You got disability, uh, disability Vermont. Dis, uh, you got, you know, Vermont Center for Independent Living. Um, you know, even you know, folks over at the ACLU, and there, there have been a number of organizations that have, um, you know, partnered with us and that have lifted this thing up. We got two NAACP chapters across here. Um, I know that there's, um, you know, we got the the batter. Battery Street, uh, Battery Park protesters here, as well as the uh, Black Perspective is, are groups. I know uh, that they're down into this. The, the um, professional networks uh, of people, the uh, folks of color here in, in Burlington, many, many, many other organizations across the state I know are either aware of, have been advocating for, uh, and um, I know are going to help us uh, lift this thing up and get it across the line. We're going to... Um, yeah, we're we're gonna come come out, you know, starting here in March with a renewed effort to get this thing done. Uh, there's we don't need to wait until 2022 to get this thing across the finish line. Uh, the, the sooner we get it done legislatively, the the sooner we can turn our attention to focus on uh, organizing around a statewide effort to get this thing on the ballot and get people across this state of 628,000 people to get people dialed into what this thing really means. And get them leaning forward, so when they go to the when they go, when they go to vote on this thing in, uh, in November of next year, that they will have a clear idea of exactly what they're voting for. We don't pull another Colorado, uh, but we get it done on the first time. Awesome, brother. Awesome. Um, what do we need to do to help you in Vermont? Uh, what can the people well, what do, you're gonna do Matt, to help? Is, is help you're going to be um, what you're going to be doing is is on on um, 
on Thursday, um, you're going to join me here uh, in the state of, uh, of Vermont because at 6 p.m. on Thursday evening, uh, we're, we're, going to, we're going to go live with Abolish uh, Slavery Vermont. Abolish Slavery Vermont, we're going to be Zooming that, and that's going to be coming from our, our Facebook page, too, and you and I are going to have a community conversation. We're going to invite, as they say where I come from, Lottie Dottie, everybody, and what we'll do is we're going to have that community conversation, and we're going to get some, we're going to get some folks in. Uh, we're, we're probably even going to have maybe a breakout session or something like that, get folks talking about it, get folks trying to peel the onion a little bit, come back in, talk about our next steps, and lean forward into, uh, into organizing to, to get um, the legislator's attention. It's time to light a fire right now. Um, the other thing we're going to be doing this week is, is pushing a, a declaration of racism as a public health emergency in, in our legislature. Uh, so uh, it's, time, it's time to get busy, right? Winter's almost over. You know, all this, we've been in the house with this pandemic thing for about a year now. I lost um, so, so let's, let's take our energy and put it into something that we know we're in the middle of a double uh, pandemic. Um, we know that there's work to get done. Uh, let's get busy. Um, I think everybody is in agreement that vast majority of us are in agreement that this just needs to get done. Let's just make it happen. So you're going to come down. Uh, you're going to join. Well, you're not going to get on no plane, but you're going to join me on, on the Zoom. I know because you already committed. We're going to do that panel discussion. Yusuf, if you're not doing anything, you can come too because I, I would love to have y'all. Just come down. Let's have a community conversation down here. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about organizing. We're going to tell some other folks what, what, have, what has been happening in some other states. Um, I think that will give you an opportunity to meet some of the people here in Vermont. Uh, we'll, we'll, even, we'll even open it up and invite some of our legislators. I'm sure at least some of them will come out. Uh, we'll, we'll just, you know, just try to dig into it, you know, and figure out how we can get this thing lifted. Uh, it's, it's, it, it shouldn't take that much to get this thing over the line again. We've done it before. So let's just let's just get this done. So I'm looking forward where, to that's it. That's where we'll start. And then what we're going to be doing is it's weekly. We're going to be having activities, different activities weekly, and we'll we'll need to um to pull that together. Uh, we're going to do some in-flight plane construction and get this thing over uh, over the finish line. Hey Mark, could you send me an invitation for that? Sean, you already there. Yeah. Awesome. Thank Absolutely. you so much. And, and can you also mind. bring your, Amen. Bring some folks from Maine too, okay? Without, of course, without yeah. That's, that's get, I, get your people in there. Yeah, no, I've been talking to people, so this is going to be something to more conclusive. They can, you know, we need you to join us to get this off Man. the ground in Maine as well. It's just beautiful to see these things coming together and know that the fruit is being born of this. This this work is not fruitless. We've abolished mm-hmm. slavery in four states now. <laughs> we got twelve on the right. table. And growing, we got 14, 15 in the back waiting to get a legislator. Comes up to a total of 30 states. But even with that, and don't, 30 states. Go ahead, Yusuf. I was going to say, and don't forget the beginning stages of the 28th Amendment on the Senate floor right now. Right. We, we, uh, it's, it's on the floor? It's a, yes. <clears throat> but it's got to be resubmitted in May with this okay. new Congress. So uh, th- yeah, that is happening simultaneously. It's, it's, the fruit is 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 being born. So we're literally seeing the end of slavery, just as the film is titled. 
from the fight for amendment in Utah. Well, brother, we're coming to the conclusion of our uh, discussion session. Uh, we want you to hang out, but we also want to give you an opportunity to say whatever you want to say to our audience while you're here. I want to say thank you, first of all, for being here. I'm glad that we could help get this out in any way possible. I think I speak for both you, sir, and myself when I say that we are very appreciative of you joining us tonight on Abolition Today. So share with our audience anything you want to uh, say, and then after that, we're going to take our music break. Right on, and, and I'm uh, I'm going to stick around and, and listen to some music because um, that's what, that's what I like to do. But Good. Yeah, I definitely want to I want to give a, a a really big shout out though to the uh, just the uh, Abolish Slavery National Network. Um, you know, it, it is amazing, amazing, the work that has been done uh, up until now. A lot of folks wouldn't realize it, but this thing just lifted off in August, and and it is um, just such a powerful movement. This is probably one of the most powerful movements that I've seen in, in quite some time. And, and when you think about the gravity of what it is that we're talking about, because this, 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 is, this is like everything. This means everything when you start thinking about um, just this whole idea of what it means to really be a nation for once and for all. It says, you know, it's, it's not okay. That slavery is not okay. And when you start to think about all of the things uh, that is that this this policy just undergirds and supports everything from the criminalization of poverty to the capturing of our children to the killing of our of our of our brothers and sisters everything from uh, legalized slavery through this thing called correctional industries and and, um, and and more and more and more there's there's so many things that's wrong with this and I promise you I promise you that if if this gets before any legislature, if this gets, if we, as we move this out, and, and it, 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 the organizing is not very hard. In Vermont, these people are not running around here saying, oh, no, we want to keep our slaves. No, that's not happening. Here in Vermont, a 95.5% white state, they said, let's get it done. They want to get this yes, done. Sir. They want this behind them. Okay? And, and if it can happen here... Despite how horrible it is, how pervasive and insidious it is, and how long-lasting it's been, if it can happen here, especially here, it can happen anywhere. So I want to encourage everybody who's a part of the movement, those of y'all who are listening who are faithful here, I'll be back. Um, come out to Vermont. You can do it, uh, you can do it virtually. Watch, uh, watch the Vermont Racial Justice Alliance's site, our, our uh, Facebook page, our, our Instagram, our Twitter. Watch what we're doing. Watch our, face, uh, watch our uh, website. Come and join us virtually. Support us as well. But support the Abolish Slavery National Network. Come out, volunteer. Be a part of this effort. Even if you don't live in another state, Come and join to help us move this, get this thing done, because at the end of the day, there's no reason that exception clause should still be in the 13th Amendment. As uh, Senator Merkley said, this, this should be gone. This should be, it, should be, it should have been done a long time ago. So thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for um, uh, letting me be a part of this. I'm honored uh, to stand with y'all um, to abolish slavery. In the United it's States. Our pleasure, brother. Vermont. Thanks so much. Yeah, no uh, doubt. Thanks for coming through, Mark. I'm glad you're going to hang out and listen to music. We got yes, another sir. hour to go, uh, and we put together a nice presentation for everybody. 
So let me give a, a, a quick build up to what you're about to hear, just a little bit. You know, I was on a friend of ours program, Real Talk, all the time, my man Rob. He was here about a week or two ago talking with us. And we was talking about things that grind your gears. And at some point, a brother from California called in with Trump ideologies talking about pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we're too lazy. And any black neighborhood you go to is filled with crime. And we're criminals. And police don't just arrest you for nothing. It was some of the craziest stuff you ever want to hear. So I had a little something to say about that. And that's what this track starts with. <laughs> and it finishes up with Kanye West's Black Skinhead. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parkinson and Yusuf Hassan. And our guest was Mark Hughes out of Vermont. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Brother Max, man, it's on you. Your closing comments, sir. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for providing a platform for discussions, uh, first of all, and always leaving the door open for a brother like me to come in and speak. I want to particularly thank Sister Sinead for saying the, the, the most logical thing, like, this brother does not qualify to even debate with me about this. He doesn't need to talk to an abolitionist. <laughs> he needs to be a yeah. therapist. Thank you, sir. Uh, right. He is indoctrinated fully and repeating these logical fallacies that come from white supremacists. And although he may be affected by black-on-black crime, as he calls it, which also doesn't exist, uh, right. we all are. Exactly. That's not an excuse for self mm-hmm. or for mm-hmm. all black people for the problems and using bootstrap mentalities to think we can get out of it. That's what Trump has been telling us. And I'm tired right. of hearing what mm-hmm. white people think we should do, whether it comes out of right. a white person's mouth or a black person's mouth. Don't matter. No I'm doubt. tired of hearing that what no we should doubt. do. No so with doubt. that, I want to say thank you very much. Look out for us on March 14th. We're going to have the good great-granddaughter of Harriet Tubman on Abolition Today. Oh, man. Yes. I'm going to have to check that out. Yes, sir. Yeah, up. All right. All right. I've been a menace for the longest, but I ain't finished. I'm devoted, and you know it. 
with your whole afternoon shit. I'ma wear I'm a wolf. Soon as the moon hit, I'ma wear I'm a king. Back out the tomb, bitch. Back out the room, bitch. Stop all that coon shit. These niggas ain't doing shit. Them niggas ain't doing shit. Come on, homie, what happened? You niggas ain't breathing, you gasping. These niggas ain't ready for action. Ready, ready for action. action. It's an omen, I keep it 300 Like the Romans, 300 bitches Where the Trojans, baby, we living In the moment, I've been a menace For the longest, but I ain't finished I'm devoted, and you know it, and you know it ah! So follow me, you could this shit about to go ah! I'm doing 500, I'm out of control ah! But there's nowhere to go ah! And there's no way to flow ah! If I knew what I knew in the past I would have been blacked out on your ass If I knew what I knew in the past, I would have been blacked out on your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Man. That's all that cool stuff. All that cartoon afternoon stuff. Like, oh, man. Dude, like I said, he needed a therapist. He didn't need an abolitionist. You know, people are entitled to an educated opinion, to an informed opinion. Nobody's entitled to be ignorant. Tell them right. I'm entitled to an opinion. You're not entitled to be ignorant. You're entitled to an informed opinion. Nobody ought to listen to your crap that's been force-fed into your mind. All right, well, uh, I'm going to open up our guest line just in case Mark wants to join at any time. You're always going to be able. And I'm going to open up also uh, Brother Sean, too, if you want to add anything to the conversation. If you want to speak, uh, you have a question or a comment, Press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to chime in. And if you're listening and you want to call in and ask a question or make a comment, 515-605-9814. That's 515-605-9814. Feel free to call in while we got some time. I got a couple of clips I'm going to be playing this afternoon as well, man. But before we get into that, I want to ask you, what do you think of that track? You heard it for the first time today, right? Yeah, man, and I feel like slapping somebody right now. <laughs> That's how I powder feel slap. right now. And yeah, man, exactly, a powder slap. You know, and, you know, certain things that he said throughout the track, like when he say, middle America packed in, come this, came to see me in my black skin. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we look at... Uh, Middle America, and we know what that's code for. You know, when we start talking about Middle America, and they want to identify with us, but at the same time, they want to dictate our lives, exploit our lives. They want to tell us what to do, as you have with that conversation with that gentleman or you were responding to that gentleman. Like, they think they have all of the answers. You know, I know what your problem is. You need to be doing this. We hear that all the time from people outside of the communities. You need to do this. You need to do that. This is, you know, this is all your fault. 
you know, we didn't do anything to put you in this condition. That's like the attitude that they have, that there's no system in place to create certain uh, certain uh, situations throughout history in the United States that we're just inherently criminal or we're inherently drug addicted or we're inherently violent or we're inherently miseducated or we're inherently poor. Like a system didn't create that. Plus, all of us aren't even that. You know what I mean? Like, we're not all that. Everybody who's black is not poor. Yes, we make up a large percentage of the poverty, 40%. Yes, we make up a large percentage of the prisons, 40%. But that doesn't mean that every black person is poor. It doesn't mean that we all fit into the same nutshells. You know, there's there's two two narratives that are being presented about black people in general from that vulture Mm -hmm. with two wings. The one wing says that we were born that way. That there ain't nothing to mm-hmm. fix us. We are just criminals by birth and bad people by birth, and we're liable to do any damn thing. And the other one says, no, right. it's circumstances that have created that. Things happen to them, and this is why they're like this. But they both agree that we're criminals, and that, that's a problem. Right, and if I, can, <laughs> if, if I can add a third to that, you know, when we start talking about the Hemitic curse, because there are those that out there that say that we're cursed by God. And this is why, you know, the condition exists. Yeah, there's some deep-rooted racism running around here in this. But we are going to kick ass, take names, and keep on doing what we do till we end slavery and take the teeth out of this dragon. Uh, because racism without a gun and the threat of incarceration to back it up is like a toothless old dog. It can bark all day right. long, but the best thing it can do is gum you. Um, so you ain't even got to sweat it. Uh, you you imagine what uh, <laughs> I'm just saying? You just imagine Karen, right? You you out doing your little cookout thing, and Karen shows up, and she wants to call the police. What happens when that cell phone ain't like a gun for her no more? So she can't vicariously kill you using police uh, because they're not gonna answer that call. Or you know what happens? The Karen ain't got no power no more. A minute ago, Karen was God. Right. She controlled your life and death. And all she had to do was pick out her cell phone and dial up her brother-in-law on the police force. And now she's mm-hmm. got nothing. So that that's a toothless dragon. We're going to take them teeth away. All right, you Yes, sir. Uh, yes, we anything are. you want to add to this? Uh, uh, and then uh, we'll get into our audio clips. No, I, I, I want to get into these clips from Oregon because I haven't listened to them yet. You know, I'm familiar with SJR10 and SB571, but I want to hear the clips themselves. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, let's start out with Senator James Ivory Manning uh, out of Oregon, and this is his testimony this week about SJR 10, which is the amendment to end slavery in Oregon. You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Abolition, Abolition. Abolition. Uh, what we're going to be doing is uh, because the number of individuals that have signed up for the various bills that we have today we will be using a timer for three minutes. I believe that was uh, noted to most of the individuals. So uh, what we'll do at this point, I'm going to continue to take testimony from elected officials uh, on uh, these two uh, matters, on the memorial and the uh, resolution. Uh, and you'll have three minutes to uh, make your point on either or both. And then uh, at some point or close to 830, uh, we will be needing to uh, check in to make certain that we accommodate 
the guest for the another bill that will be uh, uh, heard later today. So with that, I'm going to start with Senator uh, Manning. I would like for you to go ahead and make any opening statements that you'd like to make our testimony on these two bills. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Vice uh, Chair, committee members. Uh, for the record, my name is James Ivory Manning, Jr. I'm the senator from Senate District 7, which is north and west Eugene, up to and including Junction City, Monroe, and Lancaster. Today, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to follow uh, U.S. Senator Jeff Merkley uh, in support of these two measures, which are uh, SJM2 and SJR10. Uh, Senator Merkley pretty much laid everything out uh, as to the intent of the 13th Amendment and what it ha- and what it has done and the pathway it has laid for people of color, particularly African American. Uh, he had mentioned one fact that really uh, hit home is that because of the color of your skin, in some of these states, you can still be walking down the street and get accused of something and either wind up doing life imprisonment or either being dead because of the color of your skin. This is something that I live with every day. I worry about it. I'm concerned about it. My children, I am, to be honest with you, I am concerned each and every time they go outside of the house because they are, just by the color of their skin, they are targets, targets of society, targets of a society that's built on racism, slavery, and oppression. Ali, this is, these two bills, these two measures here are really important, and we will find out where the hearts are actually are for our Oregonians when we start voting on this measure. We will find out who is who and where your humanity really lies. I'm hoping that we all agree upon slavery, no matter what form, is wrong, and there are things that we can do right now to try to correct all of the injustice. It won't erase it. It will not erase it. But children yet to be born can benefit from the actions that we take today. I conclude my comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair, for this opportunity. Abolition. You just heard Senator James Manning, James Ivory Manning of Oregon, his testimony in regards to SGR 10, which proposes amendment to the Oregon Constitution to prohibit slavery and involuntary servitude in all circumstances. You know, and as I was listening to that, Max, and just listening to him speak in his life, how it directly affects him, it directly affects his children, it directly affects, uh, affects many, you know, his relatives, so it's personal to him, you know, not so much where if you have people where it doesn't, it doesn't happen to them, it doesn't happen to their children, it doesn't happen to their families, then of course, to them it's no big deal. But when it directly affects you, it's a big deal. And you could hear it in his voice. Yeah, it was a sorrow and a sadness in his voice that here we mm-hmm. are in 2021. And right now, all across America, in state houses just like Oregon, we are debating whether or not we want to end slavery. Like, if this is really happening, y'all. Right. <laughs> you just in heard. 2021. It. In 2021. 
We've got to convince we, we, we landed on Mars, but we're still talking about slavery. You know, there's those people out there in denial that don't think that believe slavery ended. What is it that we're doing then here? <laughs> like we've ended slavery in several states and working on many, many more. You just heard testimony. If it's not over, what the hell is we, are we doing here then? Must be something there because we're accomplishing the goal. I just wish right. people could get out of denial, man. I just wish because we need the help right now. Like we need so much of it. And you could hear the sour, as I said, in uh, Senator James Manning Jr.'s uh, testimony about his children, as you right. mentioned. And just for the color of their skin, uh, you know, they don't have these psychic vows going on for police to determine if they're racist. They find out after they've done something whether or not they're racist. And by that time, it's a career's worth of racism behind them. Right. We want to open up the lines. If you have something to say, question or comment, remember to press 1 on your keypad. We had to mute the phones because of background noise. So press 1 on your keypad if you want to comment about that clip or anything that we've been speaking on tonight. Um, so that was Oregon. Uh, that's a, uh, SJR 10. They also had Memorial, uh, I forget what the number was, a memorial in regards to the 13th Amendment to repeal and replace that. Everybody was in support of it. Only one person came out in uh, opposition, and it kind of seemed like a setup to me that he was even there because the chairman uh, kept looking for somebody in opposition as if he expected somebody to show up. And I had a feeling that his aides was reaching out to this guy who is a district attorney uh, to come mm-hmm. in as an opposer so they could have on the record that at least one person opposed it. And I looked up the history of this district attorney prosecutor uh, and found mm-hmm. out that they used him multiple times. He's considered one of the worst prosecutors in all of Oregon, and whenever they have bills that will affect the prison industry or uh, people, minorities in particular, he comes in as the opposition. He doesn't make any damn sense, but he goes on the record as an opposer. <laughs> but, so uh, that was pretty awesome. All right, well, let's get into the other clip, man. Uh, the other clip is District Attorney Mike Schmidt out of Oregon. And he's talking specifically about returning voting rights to those people who have been incarcerated through SB 571. I think this bill is awesome because we never should have had our rights taken away to begin with. It's a violation of the 14th and 15th Amendments. Uh, So this is something that every state should start doing, is give people the right to vote even in prison. Uh, Once again, you listen to Abolition Today. I'm here with Yusuf Hassan. We're going to listen to this clip and come back on the other side. Abolition. Abolition. Chair Pazanthi, Vice Chair Thatcher, members of the Senate Judiciary, I speak today in support of 571 Restoring Voting Rights. Uh, My name is Mike Schmidt, and I'm the District Attorney of Multnomah County. As I considered my testimony last night, I came up with four general reasons why we send people to prison. Incapacitation, punishment, deterrence, and rehabilitation. We incapacitate people when, based on our laws and the judgment of the prosecution, and sometimes the judge, we have decided that some people need to be temporarily or permanently removed from society in order to protect the safety of everyone else. We use prison, the ultimate restriction of freedom, in order to inflict some amount of suffering on a person, ostensibly because they've inflicted pain on others. 
The mere fact that incarceration exists is supposed to make people think twice about committing a crime in the first place to deter them. And finally, when someone is sentenced, it is almost always with the expressed hope that when they re-enter society, their time in prison will have afforded them an opportunity to reflect on their behavior and to have worked on the underlying issues that led them down the wrong path to begin with. And that perhaps they may even engage in activities that will make it less likely they will ever commit a crime again. So then I considered which of these buckets does depriving an individual the right to vote fall into? Incapacitation? Allowing the act of voting does not put anyone in harm's way, so no. Punishment? I've never heard anyone in the thousands of sentencing hearings I've attended even comment on losing the right to vote when being sent to prison. If it was punishment, shouldn't it hurt? Deterrence. Research shows that the thing most likely to deter people from committing crimes is not even prison, much less losing the right to vote. What deters crime the most is the likelihood of getting caught. And finally, rehabilitation. There's nothing rehabilitative about being cut off from society. In fact, it's harmful. Research consistently shows that ties to family and community are protective factors in terms of decreasing the likelihood of future criminal conduct. And there's even research suggesting that specifically voting produces specific. So I submit to you that there are zero public safety justifications for preventing someone from voting. So then what's the motivation? We've heard already today that there are racism and, and other motivations dating back hundreds of years for depriving some people of the right to vote. Uh, to me, that's true, and I think it also says to the person who's incarcerated that you aren't one of us. Stripping someone of a right that others have fought and died for sends the message that you are less than, you aren't worthy. People make mistakes, sometimes horrible and even unforgivable mistakes. But what does it say about us as a society to dehumanize our fellow human beings? I want to live in a place that holds people accountable, protects public safety, and treats everybody with dignity and humanity no matter what you've done in your life. That's a hopeful society. Restoring the right to vote to those who are incarcerated is at its core a gesture of hope. It gives people the right to dream, to participate, and to care. And as my friend, Senator Jackie Winters used to say, it'll make people a good future neighbor. Thank you. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Today. That was Oregon DA Mike Schmidt on the Oregon Voting Rights SB 571 to allow persons convicted of felonies to register to vote and update voter registration and voting elections while incarcerated. Max, you with me? Yes, I'm here. I was oh, okay. I, I wasn't even sure. Any <clears throat> your thoughts? Yeah. Well. <laughs> I go back to a lot of the stuff that went on uh, in in the wake of the George Floyd killing, and I think of how Schmidt got into office and all the things that happened other you know afterwards. You know, whether the person who had just gotten elected DA had wound up resigning, and then Mike Schmidt got appointed, and all of the turmoil he's gone through with the uh, the Portland Police Department the back and forth things that went on and this was their biggest fear. You know, that he was going to come in here with these type of progressive ideas. They wanted to stick with the, the old way of things, you know, and he's coming in 
And this is huge. This is huge because we know when it comes to, or part of the reasons why we have so much gerrymandering going on and redistricting, you know, using, using prison populations to determine districts and basically rig elections through incarceration. And so now when you restore that voting power, that brings mm-hmm. back a balance of power. Where you have people that come from, yeah, you have, like, if you take New York, for example, you have people, you know, from the five boroughs, and they end up in state prisons way upstate New York, and the funding that would have gone into the five boroughs, it would go to the to the uh, municipalities in upstate New York and the counties up there, using the money for themselves, and it also boosts up their population. So now they can get more uh, more Congress people. So yeah, this brings back that balance of power. This is this is a step in the right direction, and I'm I'm glad uh, Senator Merkley and you know many people are, are actively involved in just bringing that balance back in Oregon. I think uh, Mark Hughes wanted to join in on this part of the conversation, Mark. Thanks, Max. Yeah, I'm listening to this, and as you said earlier, um, you know, Maine and Vermont, um, we uh, we don't disenfranchise uh, folks who are in prison. And uh, but I but I think it's important. This is a really important conversation, though, uh, because if we don't understand our um, post. Um, Civil War history, if if we don't really focus in on the years specifically, say, for example, I'm going to say those 12 years between 1865 and 1877, if we're not paying attention, um, then we don't get it. You know, the this this whole, what we had in office and in, in terms of policy, we had the, we had the, we had more black folks in, in, in in the United States legislature and local state legislators than we've ever had in United States history, hands down till now and even even now comparison. Okay, let's just say it. There is a there is a fear of a Browning nation. We know that the whole CPAC nonsense is going on right now under our eyes, where they got this gold idol of what's his name this. This uh of Trump, yeah. This little, yeah, uh, whatever his name is, and um, you know how they have to build a whole party behind over a lie, and their whole strategy is disenfranchisement. Okay, is 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 behind what's behind that is the fear of a Browning nation, and it's not new. What was going on, even when there was the birther movement that was going on by what's his name. Before he was president, you know, the, top, the the pendulum was already swinging, and they saw Russ Limbaugh, rest his soul. No, never mind. But Russ Limbaugh <laughs> and, and and Glenn Beck and and all, the whole cast of characters, Alex Jones, you know, and all that. They they were they were already concocting something because they were scared. 
in in the the whole disenfranchised. Now we haven't even started talking about the electoral college yet because again, that's another remnant of of this nonsense, this deal right. that was cut. This deal that was cut in 1877, you know, when you started talking about the, you know, Rutherford B. Hayes uh, Tilden election, the Bush Gore moment that happened then, um, and how the the deal was is that Hayes you would get the White House and and the troops would come out of the South, which which collapsed the Reconstruction. The land was given back to the slave owners or the or the those who were having folks who were enslaved. Um, pardons were given out. A deal was cut. Um, the 13th Amendment was established. A loophole was placed. Um, so all of this stuff was by design. The 14th Amendment is, was rendered useless. The 15th Amendment was gutted. So um, so this whole browning nation that's going on, um, this fear of that and this fear of irrelevance uh, and this fear of reprisal, all of this stuff is real. So the, the only way they can figure out how to get after that, the only way that they can try to get after that is disenfranchisement. And that's their strategy. Not always has been their strategy, and it's not new. And, and I challenge you, if you start to take a look at your constitution, your statutes, and your House and Senate rules today, you will see vestiges of that because we see it now, and some of it is still in play. Some of it is still in play, you know, because it wasn't just about being a slave. It's 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 it, the other the flip side of that is is are you white? Are you male? Do you own land? And what do they call you, and how does that qualify you to vote? Here we call them freemen. And that language is, is still in our documents. We're still trying to get that language out of there. And here's one for you. What they did is, is they went, and I'll kick it back to you, they, what they did is, is in 1994 here in the Brave Little State, went through our Constitution under the auspices of degenderizing the Constitution but went through and picked out probably a couple dozen instances where that term Freeman is. And still to this day, the only place where they didn't get it is if you look at Chapter 42, the heading in our Constitution, and it says free men and free women. They did that in 94. They did not take Freeman out of that heading. They just added free women with it. Now, there's a whole, there's a lot of conversation that goes to that, but every single time you find that language in our Constitution, if you were to go back to previous versions, or statute, Title 17, voting, or uh, if, you, if you look through uh, our charters, which is Appendix 24 of our statutes, where city charters, every single time it is referring to when a person can vote at a statewide or a federal election. So what that does is what? It delineates those people from other people in terms of their qualification to vote, that is voter suppression. You know, what you're describing really, and, and this is the argument we are presenting here at Abolition Today and also through the Abolish Slavery National Network, what you're describing are constitutional violations, rampant constitutional violations and human rights violations. So, they're taking away the right to vote, the disenfranchisement, the removal or civil death where you're no longer even a citizen violates 14th and 15th Amendments. Uh, so those are constitutional violations, supreme law of the land. You can't get a higher law than that. Uh, so this is what we're pressing on to give Congress the ability to exercise the power bestowed upon them in Section 2 of the 13th Amendment. 
which allows them to enact legislation for badges and incidents of slavery. And when you have constitutional violations so rampant as we see them now, the Sixth Amendment, the Eighth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, the Fifteenth Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, all of these being violated every day, all day long, those are very clear indications uh, that you are in the middle of a constitutional crisis and practicing crimes against humanity because you've got to violate their rights to do it. Six million of us can't vote right now. Six million of us at low count. This is based on the low count. It could be as high as 10 million. And every year, 650,000 people come out of the prisons who can't vote, most of them. (laughs) And that happens every year. So the numbers just keep growing. Just keep growing. All right, I'll pass it back to you. Well, thank you, Max. You said a mouthful. We kind of like said some of the things I was getting ready to say. So, you know, for the sake of time, I'm not going to repeat them because we are running short on time. Well, there was four things that he did point out that I thought was very powerful. I mean, this speech, just hearing what we've heard tonight, these two clips in 2021 is mind-blowing. Like, you're literally hearing this in 2021, and they are very serious about it. But he said... There's four reasons for prison, and that's incapacitation, deterrent, punishment, Mm -hmm. and rehabilitation. And he showed clearly how giving people the right to vote, which they should have never lost to begin with, doesn't impact that in any way, shape, or form. And I thought that was powerful. But I'm going to remember those four reasons that we incarcerate people. (laughs) I got a feeling it's going to fit into some puzzles later. Right. Definitely have to revisit that one. Got to revisit that one. Uh, it's definitely uh, been a heck of a night, man. We still got one more clip left for the evening, and then our segment of uh, bridging the gap tonight. We got a couple of pieces of news. We're going to try to squeeze in. What do you want to do first? You sip the news or the clip? Let's go into the clip. All right. Uh, you want to tell them about it? Sure. This is uh, the Other People's Society and the Alabama Resistance Movement organized by Pastor Kenny Sharp in Glasgow, who is a member of the state operations team for Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia for the Abolished Slavery National Network. And this was the backwards march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I believe this was yesterday, Max? This was this afternoon. Oh, this was today. Today, yes. And I got it ready for today. You're listening to Abolition Today. Be right back. Abolition We're all here 
and want to make a difference. We want to see a change in the prison system. My sister's still bleeding. My sister can't even speak about it. She, it, she has a hard time every time we come to one of these rallies. But we're going to continue to come, and we're going to come until something is done. just heard the backwards march across the Alabama Edmund Pettus Bridge by the Ordinary People's Society 
uh, Alabama resistance movement organized by Pastor Kenny Sharpton Glasgow. Uh, he was also state ops for the Abolish Slavery National Network. And the music you heard behind it was Bard Corps' version of Where the Hood At. Yusuf? That was a tough clip. Very tough clip. And it just doesn't get any easier hearing those. You know, she's like she said, you know, marijuana is legal in so many states and here her nephew is dead for just dead. possession of marijuana. Yep. For violation of probation because he had marijuana in his bloodstream. And then he went from one facility, then they sent him to another facility where the murderers and killers were for a violation of right. probation for marijuana. And he ended up dead and the state didn't even contact the family. Prisoners called the family. Right, and and this ties back into what Mark was telling us about earlier about you know those who haven't even been sentenced being sent off to state prisons, and you know a guy could be just sitting there for an unpaid fine, and he's sitting in state prison and could be in the cell with whoever. We got a caller in. You know, uh, three two five one. Uh, question or comment? Hey Max, it's Sean. Oh Sean, hey Sean. Um, I just wanted to mention about how awesome it is to <clears throat> to have um, the connection that um, is being made between the the march um, in the '60s and today, with the but now having slavery abolitionists involved because you can look at you know the movie Thirteenth, you look at Selma, you know, and then you look at um, Obama going over the bridge and then doing nothing <laughs> to you know change anything. So it just it, it just um, to make me a little bit of a hopeful comment, it's good to have, you know, people who are actually going to change things involved. You know, that story itself is very heartbreaking, but it's like you can see the change coming. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. Yes, we can see the change coming. It's a light on the horizon. Many of us thought we never would see. Uh, thank mm-hmm. God for the Abolish Slavery National Network and the people who came together to make that happen because once those heads came together, that was it. Boom. Right. <laughs> like Mark said, in no time at all, heads were spinning. Uh, so yeah, that that is awesome, man. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the program. Almost. We only got one more segment left to go and we got to do a shout out to our sponsors. So I just wanted to make some final comments. Uh, thank you to uh, Pastor Kenny Sharpton Glasgow for putting that together, uh, the brothers and sisters in Alabama for supporting it and being out there in the street, the families of the Donaldson Four. Uh, this hearing that you can see now from the halls of legislation to the front doors of the prisons, this is as real as it gets. And it's all over the country happening right now. This is the era of slavery abolition. It's time for it to end we shouldn't be having these conversations in 2021 with opposition. There shouldn't be any opposition. Uh, right. So get involved and let's solve these problems. Yusuf? Oh, I'd like to take a moment to just mention our partners and sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Samer Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program at youtube.com slash abolitiontoday. 
Also remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us to become a part of the solution. We'll be back on March 7th with another episode of Abolition Today. And don't forget to tune in March 14th when we'll have Harriet Tubman's great-great-great, sorry, great-great-grandniece on the broadcast when we can hopefully end this debate on the $20 bill. (laughs) And also tune in to Live from the Plantation, Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central. And unless, Max, you have any other comments, I'd like to go into our Bridging the Gap segment. Yes, I do have one other comment. I want to thank our guests and callers, Sean and uh, Mark, for participating tonight. Yes. Uh, we are going to do what we can to solve these problems and get Vermont in gear and ready to go so she can end slavery. Um, I'd also like to just put out this little bit of information. Recently, I went to do a little research, and I found out that the 2015 California state budget for the prisons was like eight, almost $9 billion. And I saw that in the very mm-hmm. institute study. And I said, well, what is it worth now? You know, six years later, what is their prison budget now? It's almost right. doubled. It's nearly $16 billion in six years from almost $9 billion to almost $16 billion in just six years. That's what's going on in the world of slavery. Right, Yusuf. Uh, definitely, like you, I'm looking forward to our interview on our anniversary uh, show, uh, March 14th, right. uh, with Sister Ernestine Tina Wyatt, the great, great, great grand niece of Harriet Tubman. And I would like to close out the show by wishing my mother a happy birthday, rest her soul. She, as you know, uh, was raised by former slaves, uh, the Robinson family. And then she raised me, my great aunt. And the March 4th for Freedom campaign that we did 11 years ago was done on March 4th as a a memorial for her on her birthday. So happy birthday, Mom. See you guys next week. Yes, happy birthday, Derek. So tough program tonight, man. A lot of deep stuff that we got into. And... So in going to our Bridging the Gap, as always, we bring the voices of our ancestors back to life. This week, we're going to have, once again, spoken word OG, Cola Rum, author, poet, and SWG Lifetime Achievement Award honoree, will lend his voice in part three of 1860's uh, Frederick Douglass, The Constitution of the United States. Is it pro-slavery or anti-slavery? And this will be followed by Ross Shiloh, Slavery. So until next week, Think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. Abolition. These are the words of that orator and not the words of the Constitution of the United States. Now, you shall see a slight difference between my manner of treating this subject and what which my opponent has seen fit for reasons satisfactory to himself to pursue. What he withheld, that I will spread before you. What he suppressed, I will bring to light. And what he passed over in silence, I will proclaim. That you may have the whole case before you and not be left to depend upon either his or upon my inferences or testimony.
Here then are several provisions of the Constitution to which reference has been made. I read them word for word just as they stand in the paper, called the United States Constitution. Article 1, Section 2. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned among several states which may be included in this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding to the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed three-fifths of all other persons. Article 1, Section 9. The migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think fit to admit shall not be permitted by the Congress prior to the year 1808, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importations, not exceeding $10 for each person. Article 4, Section 2. No person held to service or labor in one state under the laws thereof, escaping into another shall, in consequence of any law or regulation therein be charged for service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. Article 1, Section 8. To provide for calling for the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repeal invasions. Here then are those provisions of the Constitution which the most extravagant defenders of slavery can claim to guarantee a right of property in man. These are provisions which have been pressed into service of the human fleshmongers of America. Let us look at them just as they stand, one by one. Let us grant for the sake of the argument that the first of these provisions referring to the basis of representation and taxation does refer to slaves. We are not compelled to make that admission, for it might fairly apply to aliens, persons living in the country but not naturalized. But giving the provisions the very worst construction, what does it amount to? I answer, it is a downright disability laid upon the slaveholding states, one which deprives those states of two-fifths of their natural basis of representation. A black man in a free state is worth just two-fifths more than a black man in a slave state as a basis of political power under the Constitution. Therefore, instead of encouraging slavery, the Constitution encourages freedom by giving an increase of two-fifths of political power to free over slave states. So much for the three-fifths clause. Taking it at its worst, it still leans to freedom, not slavery. For be it remembered that the Constitution nowhere forbids a colored man to vote. I come to the next, that which is said guaranteed the continuance of the African slave trade for 20 years. I will also take that for just what my opponent alleges it to have been, although the Constitution does not warrant any such conclusion. But to be liberal, let us suppose it did. And what follows? Why this? That this part of the Constitution, so far as the slave trade is concerned, became a dead letter more than 50 years ago, and now binds no man's conscience for the continuance of any slave trade whatsoever. Mr. Thompson is just 52 years too late in dissolving the Union on account of this clause. He might as well dissolve the British government, because Queen Elizabeth granted to Sir John Hawkins to import Africans into the West Indies 300 years ago. But there is still more to be said about this abolition of the slave trade. Men at the time, both in England and in America, looked upon the slave trade as the life of slavery. The abolition of the slave trade was supposed to be the certain death of slavery. Liberation is a must. 